entering this new world and people who are feeling drowned by it. They may be feeling drowned by everything from racial resentment to cultural dislocation to the fact that they've been left behind economically. But that sense that they have been left behind, I think, helps explain in part why throughout this campaign they were so immune to the normal kinds of information that would have driven them from a guy like Donald Trump. And that's why it's so imperative for leadership to to speak out and convince them that you're listening. And we'll one, get to one, that, one okay. of the pieces of leadership that can happen, and I can see uh, the, the minority of the Republican Party who were not Donald Trump supporters, the Jeb Bushes, the Mitt Romneys of the world, uh, a good number of, of conservative intellectuals and columnists who have, among other things, adhered to a reality-based version of the world. To me, that's the greatest shock and fear I have about what this campaign has shown us and what isn't going to be healed tomorrow or the next day is this sense that people are entitled to their own facts, Mm -hmm. that my version of reality is my version of reality because I want it to be. And we've had a candidate, that is Donald Trump, who has, who has, dined off that, who has served that, who has legitimized that to an extent I I didn't really imagine was possible. This is not an altogether new thing. He didn't create it, but he has uh, made it uh, 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 an acceptable posture that I don't, I can have my own uh, version of the truth. A piece of tape where he says something and he says he didn't say it. Uh, and it doesn't matter. Paul. Okay, let me go to Doris Kearns, who joins us uh, from Massachusetts. Uh, Doris, uh, you have considered and continue to consider the question of presidential leadership. So what's required, and is it possible to heal these divisions uh, that everybody has spoken to? Well, I think one of the most important things somehow is to make the American people believe again that people in political life can do things that will make the country better. I mean, you've got this changing America, as people have said. A lot of people are frightened by the change, by the pace of the change, by the changing minorities getting more power and more numbers than eventually than the whites are going to have. There are answers to some of these things, but it's going to depend upon the people of the country believing that politicians can make a difference. And that's what's lost. I mean, when you hear some people say that democracy, 20 percent of young people think democracy is not a good thing, or more people are pessimistic about the future of our country. Just keep remembering old Winston Churchill who said people declare that democracy is the worst form of government, and yet it's better than all the others that have been tried. So you need, again, a a politician to be a merchant of hope, to be able to mobilize the country, to do the kind of massive investment, to do something about the inequality, the the squeezing middle class. But we've had gridlock for such a long period of time. We're looking at politicians. That's one of the reasons Trump won, because people didn't like politicians. They've lost their faith in them but won the Republican nomination. And so you you have to somehow be able to instill again, and I think going to other people, whoever wins is able to reach out to the other side, show that Congress can work again and not be in gridlock, just so that it can begin to develop that sense that the country can make its own future. That's what we've lost. And in a country like America, that was always the dividing the, the sign of us that we could make things better. Think about FDR when he runs it's the middle of the depression. It's horrible, much worse than anything is now. And yet happy days are here again is his sign because he's contagion. This, this election has produced a contagion of pessimism and we have to turn it around to our normal American optimism once again. Jeff Greenfield is I shaking think. his head. I don't know whether he's, he's a <laughs> pessimistic or simply yeah, a skeptic. No, because I am pessimistic. And, and uh, thinking of, F, of FDR, one of the things, perhaps you know a little bit more about this than I do, Doris, <laughs> is that when he came in, the country was ready to let him pretty much do everything. 
If he wanted to be a dictator, people like William Randolph Hearst were saying, please, go ahead. That's 180 degrees from where we are now. And one of the reasons I am pessimistic um, is that come January, whatever the makeup of the Senate is, um, to try to imagine either the new president or the new Congress crossing the line, given the pressures on them from their base, is to me to create almost an illusion. In other words, I know what the words are that everybody thinks they ought to say, but the minute that that the base of the Republican Party says to their leadership, you've betrayed us before, we know what Sean and Rush are telling us, the minute that if it's, you know, if if somebody wants to cross party lines to the Democratic side and the Sanders-Warren wing says, no, 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 now you're a corporate centrist. I mean, the difference between... Like you said in the campaign. The difference between where the parties were and where they are now, and the belief that the other side is not just wrong but evil, has permeated this political system. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm afraid.